think of what you have instead of what you want. In over a dozen years as a stress consultant, one of the most pervasive and destructive mental tendencies I've seen is what is that of focusing on what we want instead of what we have. It doesn't seem to make any difference how much we have. We just keep expanding our list of desires, which guarantees we will remain dissatisfied. The mindset that says, I'll be happy when this desire is fulfilled is the same mindset that will repeat itself once their desire is met. That desire is met. A friend of ours closed escrow on his new home on a Sunday. <clears throat> the very next time we saw him, he was talking about his next house that was going to be even bigger. He isn't alone. Most of us do the very same thing. We want this or that. If we don't get what we want, we keep thinking about all that we don't have and we remain dissatisfied. If we do get what we want, we simply recreate the same thinking in our new circumstance. So, despite getting what we want, we still remain unhappy. Happiness can't be found when we are yearning for new desires. Luckily, there is a way to be happy. It involves changing the emphasis of our thinking from what we want to what we have. Rather than wishing your spouse were different, try thinking about her wonderful qualities. Instead of complaining <clears throat> about your salary, be grateful that you have a job. Rather than wishing you were able to take a vacation to Hawaii, think of how much fun you've had close to home. The list of possibilities is endless. Each time you notice yourself falling into the I wish life were different trap, back off and start over. Take a breath and remember all that you have to be grateful for. When you focus not on what you want, but on what you have, you end up getting more of what you want anyway. If you focus on the good qualities of your spouse, she'll be more loving. If you're grateful for your job rather than complaining about it, you'll do a better job. Be more productive and probably end up getting a raise anyway. If you focus on ways to enjoy yourself around home rather than waiting to enjoy yourself in Hawaii, you'll end up having more fun. If you ever do get to Hawaii, you'll be in the habit of enjoying yourself. And if by some chance you don't, you'll have a great life anyway. Make a note to yourself to start thinking more about what you have and what you want. If you do, your life will start appearing much better than before. Or perhaps for the first time in your life, you'll know what it means to feel satisfied. That's from uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff. Simple ways to keep the little things from taking over your life. Richard Carlson, PhD. <clears throat>
Certainly, there will be times when you will want or need to argue, confront, or even fight for something you believe in. Many people, however, argue, confront, and fight over practically anything, turning their lives into a series of battles over relatively small stuff. There is so much frustration in living this type of life that you lose track of what's truly relevant. The tiniest disagreement or glitch in your plans can be made into a big deal if your goal, conscious or unconscious, is to have everything work out in your favor. In my book, this is nothing more than a prescription for unhappiness and frustration. The truth is, life is rarely exactly the way we want it to be. And other people often don't act as we would like them to. Moment to moment, there are aspects of life that we like and others that we don't. There are always going to be people who disagree with you, people who do things differently, and things that don't work out. If you fight against the principle of life, you'll spend most of your life fighting battles. A more peaceful way to live is to decide consciously which battles are worth fighting and which are better left alone. If your primary goal isn't to have everything work out perfectly, but instead to live a relatively stress-free life, you'll find that most battles pull you away from your most tranquil feelings. Is it really important that you prove to your spouse that you are right, she is wrong, or that you confront someone simply because it appears as though he or she has made a minor mistake? Does your preference of which restaurant or movie to go to matter enough to argue over it? Does a small scratch on your car really warrant a suit in small claims court? Does the fact that your neighbor won't park his car on a different part of the street have to be discussed at your family dinner table? These and thousands of other small things are what many people spend their lives fighting about. Take a look at your own list. If it's like mine used to be, you might want to reevaluate your priorities. If you don't want to sweat the small stuff, it's critical that you choose your battles wisely. If you do, there will come a day when you'll rarely feel the need to do battle at all. That's a beautiful chapter and a great reminder for me. Thanks for letting me in on your day. I appreciate that. Give me a text, 403-598-4470 if you feel so inclined. Love to hear from you. Bye. Chapter 57, Become a Less Aggressive Driver Where do you get the most uptight? If you're like most people, driving in traffic is probably high on your list. To look at most major freeways these days, you think you're on a racetrack instead of a roadway. There are three excellent reasons for becoming a less aggressive driver. First, when you are aggressive, you put yourself and everyone around you in extreme danger. Second, driving aggressively is extremely stressful. Your blood pressure goes up, your grip on the wheel tightens, your eyes are strained and your thoughts are spinning out of control. Finally, you end up saving no time getting to where you want to go. Recently, while I was driving south from Oakland to San Jose, traffic was heavy, but moving. I noticed an extremely aggressive and angry driver weaving in and out of the lanes, speeding up and slowing down. Clearly, he was in a hurry. For the most part, I remained in the same lane for about the entire 40 mile journey. I was listening to a new audio tape I just purchased and daydreaming along the way. I enjoyed the trip a great deal because 
Driving gives me a chance to be alone. As I was exiting off the freeway, the aggressive driver came up behind me and raced on by. Without realizing it, I'd actually arrived at San Jose, San Jose ahead of him. All of his weaving, rapid acceleration, and putting families at risk had heard, earned him nothing, except perhaps some high blood pressure and a great deal of wear and tear on his vehicle. On average, he and I had driven at the same speed. The same principle applies when you see drivers speeding past you so they can beat you to the next stoplight. It simply doesn't pay to speed. This is especially true if you get a ticket and have to spend eight hours in traffic school. It'll take you years of dangerous speeding to make up this time alone. When you make the conscious decision to become a less aggressive driver, you begin using your time in the car to relax, try to see your driving not only as a way of getting you somewhere, but as a chance to breathe and to reflect. Rather than tensing your muscles, see if you can relax them instead. I even have a few audio tapes that are specifically geared toward muscular relaxation. Sometimes I pop one in and listen. By the time I reach my destination, I feel more relaxed than I did before getting into the car. During the course of your lifetime, you're probably going to spend a great deal of time driving. You can spend those moments being frustrated, or you can use them wisely. If you do the latter, you'll be a more relaxed person. Chapter 73. Make service an integral part of your life. To become a kinder, more loving individual requires action. Yet, ironically, there's nothing specific you have to do. No prescription to follow. Rather, most genuine acts of kindness and generosity seem natural. They stem from a type of thinking where service and giving have been integrated into the person's thought process. Several teachers and philosophers that I have learned from have suggested that I begin my day by asking myself the question, how can I be of service? I have found this to be useful in reminding me of the multitude of ways that I can be helpful to others. While I take the time to ask this question, I find answers popping up all day long. If one of your goals is to be of help to others, you will find the most appropriate ways. Your chances to be of service are endless. Sometimes the best way that I can be that I can be of service is to offer my home to a friend or even a stranger in need. Other times it's to give my seat to an elderly person on the train, help a youngster across the monkey bars, speak to a group, write a book, help out in my daughter's school, write a check to a charity, or pick up litter on the road. The key, I believe, is to remember that being of service isn't a one-time effort. It's not doing something nice for someone and then wondering why others aren't being nice too, or doing things for us. Instead, a life of service is a lifelong process, a way of thinking about life. Does the trash need to be taken out? If so, go ahead and take it out, even if it's not your turn. Is someone you know being difficult? Maybe they need a hug or someone to listen to them. Are you aware of a charity that is in trouble? Could you possibly give a little extra this month? I have learned that the best way to be of service is often very simple. It's those little quiet, often unnoticed acts of kindness that I can choose on a daily basis. Being supportive of a new endeavor by my spouse or simply taking the time and energy to listen. I know that I have a long way to go toward my goal of becoming a more selfless person. However, I also know that as I have attempted to integrate service into my life, I have felt better and better about the way I choose to live. There is an ancient saying, giving is its own reward. It's really true. When you give, 
you also receive. In fact, when you receive, it's directly proportional to what you give. As you give more freely of yourself in your own unique ways, you will experience more feelings of peace than you ever thought possible. Everyone wins, especially you. Chapter 56. Be grateful when you're feeling good and graceful when you're feeling bad. The happiest person on earth isn't always happy. In fact, the happiest people all have their fair share of low moods, problems, disappointments, and heartache. Often the difference between a person who is happy and someone who is unhappy isn't how often they get low or even how low they drop, but instead it's what they do with their low moods. How do they relate to their changing feelings? Most people have it backward. When they're feeling down, they roll up their sleeves and get to work. They take their low moods very seriously and try to figure out and analyze what's wrong. They try to force themselves into their low state, which tends to compound the problem rather than solve it. When you observe peaceful, relaxed people, you find that when they're feeling good, they're very grateful. They understand that both positive and negative feelings come and go, and that there will come a time when they won't be feeling so good. To happy people, that's okay. It's the way of things. They accept the inevitability of passing feelings. So when they are feeling depressed, angry, or stressed out, they relate to these feelings with the same openness and wisdom. Rather than fight their feelings and panic simply because they are feeling bad, they accept their feelings knowing that this too shall pass. Rather than stumbling and fighting against their negative feelings, they are graceful in their acceptance of them. This allows them to come gently and gracefully out of negative feeling states into more positive states of mind. One of the happiest people I know is someone who also gets quite low from time to time. The difference, it seems, is that he has become comfortable with his low moods. It's almost as though he doesn't really care because he knows that in due time, he will be happy again. To him, it's no big deal. Next time you're feeling bad, rather than fight it, try to relax. See if, instead of panicking, you can be graceful and calm. Know that if you don't fight your negative feelings, if you're graceful, they will pass away just as surely as the sun sets in the evening. Chapter 71. Quiet the Mind Pascal said, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I'm not sure I would go quite this far, but I'm certain that a quiet mind is the foundation of inner peace. And inner peace translates into outer peace. Although there are many techniques for quieting the mind, such as reflection, deep breathing, contemplation, and visualization, the most universally accepted and regularly used technique is meditation. In as little as 5 to 10 minutes a day, you can train your mind to be still and quiet. This stillness can be incorporated into your daily life, making you less reactive and irritable, and giving you greater perspective to see things as small stuff rather than as emergencies. Meditation teaches you to be calm by giving you the experience of absolute relaxation. It teaches you to be at peace. There are many different forms and variations of meditations. Essentially, however, meditation involves emptying 
your mind. Usually meditation is done alone in a quiet environment. You close your eyes and focus your attention on your breath. In and out, in and out. As thoughts enter your mind, you gently let them go and bring your attention back to your breath. Do this over and over again. Over time, you'll train yourself to keep your attention on your breath as you gently dismiss any stray thoughts. You'll quickly discover that meditation isn't easy. You'll notice that your mind will fill with thoughts the moment you attempt to keep it still. It's rare for a beginner to be able to focus attention for more than a few seconds. The trick to becoming an effective meditator is to be gentle on yourself and to be consistent. Don't be discouraged. A few minutes each day will reap tremendous benefits over time. You can probably find a meditation class in your community, or if you prefer, you can learn from a book, or better yet, an audio tape. It's hard to read with your eyes closed. My favorite resource is Larry Lashan's How to Meditate, available in both book and audio format. I don't know many people I would consider to be at peace with themselves who haven't spent at least a little time experimenting with meditation.